good morning, everyone. Name is Ryan, one of the pastors here at Seacoast. As always, it's my pleasure to be with you. So I just got back late last night. Uh, we got back from, we were camping up at Lake Kuyamaka. So a uh, little bit still in the cloud. But it's the end of this school year. So we went up there with about five other families uh, from our school. And I think there was 13 kids uh, running around. And it was, um, two of the kids were turning seven this week. And they wanted to have a survivor birthday party. And, and, and not survivor like the show. We didn't vote anyone off. But it was uh, Bear Grylls is their hero, so they know, like, you know, so they wanted to survive out in the wild, and they said, hey, let's not even bring food or shelter, let's just go up there and survive and eat rabbits, and, and uh, we did bring food and shelter, but uh, in their mind, that's how they wanted it to be, and it was, uh, these 13 kids, by the second day, it was pretty much like Lord of the Flies, you know, they, they were running around with their spears, and I think they had different colonies, and and the parents, we were just sitting around the fire watching herds of kids run back and forth and, and uh, enjoy the outdoors. But it got me thinking about one of the first times we went up camping with our family and our dog. We have a golden retriever. And I remember we drove up into the Sequoias. And uh, you, first of all, you have the long drive. But they're kids who grew up in the suburbs. At the time, our, our house we were living in, our backyard was literally 12 feet between our house and the fence. So there's, you know, they're used to small spaces. And uh, so we drove up camping and we opened the door to the minivan and the dog jumped out and the kids jumped out and they all just kind of started running. Because there's trees and there's a big meadow where we were camping and all this. And, and even at one point, my dog literally, he saw the field and just started, he just ran. He ran all the way across it and then came back to me and, and saw me and was kind of like, hey, I'm running. And just kept running. Hey, I'm running around. This is great. And it just, just kept coming for, for hours. He was just running, not doing anything, just running. And I was thinking with our kids and with our dog, there's just something about them, especially growing up in the suburbs, that when they get in that open space, something in them, you don't have to tell a 10-year-old boy, hey, go enjoy the outdoors, go have some freedom. You don't have to explain it. They just see it and they, something inside them says, this is good. This is what I want. And, and so I always love camping just to see how the kids just kind of go and be free. And uh, we're doing a series called Hunger Games. And what we're doing is exploring the different hungers in our hearts. And, and one of the hungers that we're looking at today is one I think we all have somewhere in there. And that's this hunger for freedom. And I'm not just talking about freedom to jump out of the minivan and run through a meadow by big trees and stuff, although many of us still have that hunger as well. But the hunger in our lives to be people who are free. In fact, even in Scripture, when God created Adam and Eve, one of the first things he told them is, now you are free. You're free to enjoy everything in the garden, free to eat every tree here except for one. In other words, the, the emphasis was on that they had freedom. And it's an important part of humanity that we're created with. Think of some of the freedoms that we talk about a lot in our culture. Maybe you've heard this before, but does anyone ever talk about the path to financial freedom? How often do we hear that? Daily. And, and it's almost like that is, we exist to live and work to get to what? Financial freedom. And what does financial freedom mean? It means that you are free, you have enough money, so you don't have to worry about work. You don't have to worry about pressures. You don't have to worry about what happens in the economy because you have financial freedom. And I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. I'm okay with financial freedom. I'd love it. But that's one of the things that we hear about often. Our own country 
was founded in part people looking and seeking for a place where they could have religious freedom. They didn't want a government to tell them what they were supposed to believe and what God they would serve or how they would serve God. We, it was based on this idea that we want to be free. Freedom of speech is something that our country uh, longs for, protects. You have the freedom to think and say what you want. So though many of us may not wake up every day and say, you know, I really hunger for freedom today. The truth is, at the heart of all of us, we want to be free. Now today is not about politics or financial freedom. Clearly we want to talk about deeper issues in our lives. On the spiritual side of freedom, we still are people who hunger for this, whether we know it or not. Freedom from judgment, from condemnation. Freedom from obligations to be a certain way or pressures. Today what we want to do is we're going to explore a passage in John chapter 8. And we're going to look at how Jesus addresses this idea of freedom. And how can following the Son of God, Jesus Christ, how does that bring freedom in our lives? So that's what we're going to explore today. So I invite you to open up in your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you need one, we have some extra ones in the back. And we're going to explore that in just a moment, but allow me to pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the freedom that you offer us. And I pray here this morning, God, that if there's anyone who's here this morning, God, and feeling oppressed or feeling like they're in some sort of, um, in, in a place where they want to be set free, from sin in their lives, from struggles, God, that today you'd speak. And God, right now, let this be about you and not about me, that they're your words. And teach us as a community how to be more like you. So we give you this time now. In your name, amen. All right, in John chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in verse 31 through 36. Jesus is speaking, and says, uh, the author writes this, he says, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, so this is in the context of a very long dialogue that we have happening in chapter 8, where Jesus is talking with some of the religious leaders and from some of his fellow uh, Jewish people who are listening and trying to determine if he's the Messiah worth following. And, and it, it says that he spoke to those who, are, who believed in him. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So even if you are not familiar with the Bible at all, you've probably heard this phrase, the truth will set you free. And they answered to him and said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you would say you will become free? Jesus answers them and says, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So how does Jesus make us free? Now, we need to paint a little bit of bigger picture here of this context of, what he, of this passage that Jesus is speaking in. So first of all, in, in chapter 8, I'm going to give you just a couple things that Jesus is saying in the course of this whole dialogue that gives a little more power to what he's saying. First of all, in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus is speaking, he says, hey, I am the light of the world. In other words, he says, follow me and walk in the light. In verse 16, he says that I am sent from the Father God in heaven. He's indicating, saying, I am the Messiah that has been promised through your scriptures who will de bring deliverance to the people. 
And that is me. I am the anointed one who's been sent. In verse 21 of chapter 8, Jesus says, I am from heaven, therefore I am the divine Son of God. In verse 24, he says that through me, that you can be forgiven from your sins. And only through Jesus, he says, I'll set you free from your sins. In verse 58, we talked about this actually to launch the series. Jesus actually makes a very clear and definitive statement. He says that I am God in flesh. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And we don't have time to get into it here, but the very first message in this series, we talked about how in a Hebraic way of saying, he was claiming to say, no, I am God. I am the creator God, and I'm here in flesh. We don't have time to dig into all that means, except for those that heard him understood that w- who he was claiming to be. And there was authority to what he said. So when he says, if the Son, if the Son of God has sets you free from your sins, you will be free indeed. If you want freedom, that you can find in me. To kind of bolster and give credibility to what he's saying here. So in the context of this little passage, he's saying his divinity and the plan from the very beginning of time, Jesus is saying that he is the one who will bring freedom. This has been the plan of God. Now, we're going to look at this a little bit more now. What are the words? We're going to do a little word study. So I know in this series we've been studying through a lot of the the stories. And the stories are fun. We tell you the stories, and they're great stories through Scripture. Um, Today is theology and kind of deep and in-depth. So, you know, those of you who are hoping to hear an entertaining story, I'm just smiling nod today, because this is going to be a little thick, I admit it. And I asked Dale, hey Dale, because he taught last week, I said, why did you want to skip ahead and teach the story and go out of order and give me this week? Thanks. But um, all he said was, you're welcome. So there you go. But this is actually really great word study stuff that we're going to look at. So let's go back to John 8, 31 through 36. Let's understand, what does he mean when he says, if you follow my words, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're going to look at a couple of those there. So first of all, he says, if you abide in my word, if you remain in it, if you consistently are a part of his word. Now, what is his word? When Jesus says, my word, he's referring to really all of scripture, but the Hebrew scriptures talk about the commands of God, the ways of God. When Jesus says it, he's not only saying the commands or the, the law, but he's saying, in me, my words and my way. See, it's something that we really need to understand right here. Is in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, the commands of God are in there, and these commands are not designed so that God can have something to make his people do. A lot of people, it's easy to think of God's word and, and, and rules and say, oh, God's making rules because he's a God and that's what gods do. They need to control people, so they have to come up with rules. The scriptures and the commands throughout scripture are designed to help us understand the character of God. And when we live according to his ways, we are actually putting on display God's grace, his truth, his justice, his mercy the way he loves and interacts, the way he's redeeming and restoring people, the way he has patience and doesn't give up. A selfless God who cares for others. So when you actually follow the commands of God, it's not this, all these regulations just to control us, it's to understand who God is. Jesus, who is God in flesh, gave us a picture of what this looks like on very practical terms. 
So when Jesus says, if you follow my words, he's saying, if you follow my ways, I show you what the commands look like in real terms. Learn from me, live like me, interact with people the way I do. That's the commands in word of God. So when he says, uh, follow my word, abide in my words, he's talking about the ways of God. And you will know the truth. Now truth is something in the Western world, we like to have everything very orderly. We like everything to fit and we don't like things that seem out of place. In the Eastern world, even to this day, words and, and concepts are a lot more dynamic. So when they say, he says, you know the truth, for us, we think, in a Western world, we think, oh, that is the right information. That is truth. Now, that is what this entails, but from a Hebraic spec, uh, perspective, the word truth is emet. And when he uses this, it takes on a whole lot more than simply the correct information or the correct thinking. When he's talking about this, he's talking about the correct way to interact with God and with man. Truth was, a way to think of it is something that is completely reliable, completely reliable, um, excuse me, yeah, yeah, some, and a life experience that is completely reliable, it can be trusted. And it always was related to a right relationship with God and with man. Truth apart from these right relationships was a weird concept. So when he's saying this, you will know the truth. He's gonna, he says, when you understand my ways, you know the only completely reliable way to interact with God and with other humans. That is the truth that you will know. It's not just correct information. It affects every part of the way you live. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus actually uses the same terminology in John chapter 17, verse 17. When he's praying and he says, Father God, sanctify them. And I, that word is a very churchy word. Basically, make these people holy. Make them more like you through your truth or through your word, through your commands. Because your commands are truth. So Jesus says, the way to be more like God is to know the commands that they're the only completely reliable way to be transformed into his likeness. The only completely reliable way. Okay, so we know this. So he's talking about his ways are the only completely reliable way to live as it relates to God and man, which is the relationships that matter in the world. And then he says, if we know this, that will set you free. So let's look at the word what does it mean to be set free? It is a little bit of what, what you see meets the eyes, but this is to be liberated from the consequences, is what this Greek word means. To be liberated from the consequences of something. To be exempt from the consequences of your actions. Doesn't that sound like freedom? <laughs> Jesus says, if you know and follow my words and ways, it's the only complete little completely reliable way to interact with God and other mankind, and that will make you exempt from the consequences of your actions. Now that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? To tell someone, oh, you're completely exempt from the consequences of your actions. But let's think on practical terms. When Jesus says, when you fully embody my ways, essentially saying you can be free from worrying about what happens. What happens next? Because the ways of God aren't going to bring things upon you that you need to worry about. 
Is everyone in the world going to love you if you completely follow the ways of God? Maybe not. But it's almost like one of those old concepts as a parent. Some of you have probably said this. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. Have you ever heard that before or said that? You know, kids, when they lie, you try to explain to them. You know, when you tell one lie and then you tell a lie to someone else, you've got to remember what lie you told to which people. But if you live within truth on a very practical terms in your life and you only speak what is true, you don't get involved in lying, you can be completely free from the worry about what's going to happen because you know you're speaking truth. In God's ways, he's saying, when you follow me and embody my ways, you're going to actually, you can be free or liberated from the consequences of that. You can trust it in the hands of God. Now, I see some of you just smiling and nodding. Some of you in involuntary prayer. I get it. All right. Thank you for understanding that, Joe. That's great. All right. So let's talk on practical terms. That is the theory of this passage. If we follow the ways of God, we can be free from the consequences. So how do we really experience freedom? Because I've got news for you this morning. None of you can perfectly follow the ways of God. There you go, my pep talk. You will fail at it. You probably already failed at it today. You're judging me right now, you just failed. So there you go. (laughs) We all fall short. So we can't perfectly embody God's ways. So how can we, in practical terms, experience this freedom from Jesus, What are the areas of your life where we can see that freedom being practically applied? And there's a few that we want to look at. The first one is pretty, uh, many, if you've been around here for a while, we talk about it all the time, we're probably very familiar, but I call them the different chains in our life. One of the chains that we experience that Jesus' ways will free us from is the first one, it's in your notes, it says the chains of spiritual death. Let me explain that quickly. In John chapter 8, We're still in chapter 8, but skip back to verse 24. Jesus says, Hey, I say to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. He's speaking about the one sent from God. Unless you believe in who I am, you will die in your sins. There's a spiritual death that He speaks about. I have on the screen for you Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul is writing, and he says, The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. So one of the chains that all humans experience is this chain called spiritual death. And it's one that God promises that Jesus says, my ways will set you free from this spiritual death just by believing in me. First accepting that I can forgive you for your sins. Now if you've been around church for a while, you say, okay Ryan, I get it. I heard that. I get it. But keep in mind that this is true for you, but it's also true for all the other people who never even have stepped through the doors of the church, who have yet to interact with the person of Jesus Christ, he can set them free from their sin, no matter what the sin is. Most famous verse probably in all the scriptures, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and anyone who believes will not perish but have everlasting life. We all have the chain of spiritual death that only Jesus can set you free from. And those who you interact with daily, God wants to set them free as well. He actually writes in Ezekiel chapter 18. I know a lot of you study Ezekiel daily. And uh, in Ezekiel chapter 18, he said, God's speaking to his people and he says this, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather that he should turn from his ways and live. In other words, God says, I take no pleasure 
and seeing even the wicked people dying in their sins. I take no pleasure in that. I take pleasure in seeing people turn to me. Our God wants to see all people to be set free from this chain of spiritual death. All people. And just so you know, we all have sinned and faced that, that chain. The other thing that Jesus, maybe a more practical term for some of us, what's another chain? This one, I, I couldn't come up with a really good phrase for it. I just call it the chain of sin. Okay, we're talking about sin. And by the way, what is sin? It's anything, basically, that doesn't live up to the ways of God, the commands of God. So it, it can be pride, anger, any of the Ten Commandments you want to break. I mean, there's all kinds of things. We do them all the time. Anything that falls short of God's standard and who He is, is sin, according to Scripture. So one of the things that Jesus, in following his ways, one, a practical thing, can set you free from the chains of the sin that we live in daily. Again, Jesus says in 8, John 8, 34, he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 17 through 18, I have this for you, on the screen, and he writes this, I think we have it for you. I will turn to it. If There it is. Uh, but thanks be to God that through, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you were committed. And you've been freed from sin, and now you are slaves to righteousness. So Paul reminds us, he said, hey, you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And that used to be what defined you. But praise God that now you can be a slave or servant of righteousness. Now you say, Ryan... Um, being a slave of righteousness, isn't that still bondage? I mean, am I really free? But think of that. What that really means is you either serve sin and its desires or be a servant of righteousness, what relates to wanting to live with a right relationship with God and with others. Again, what do you have to worry about when your relationships are right? It exempts you, actually, from the consequences of that. Now, again, that sounds great, doesn't it? Just knowing that, that, that makes sin easy. We, do, we don't deal with it anymore. Because I know, I'm a slave of righteousness, not sin. So I don't sin anymore. Easy. <laughs> of course, this is something we will always struggle with. This is something that some of you I know, because I spoke with some of you, would say, I just can't get it right. Time after time, I struggle with the same thing. I don't, the scripture says I'm not a slave to sin, but I keep doing it. How do we break that? How do I break free from that? And really, we don't have enough time to figure all of that out. But I have a few suggestions that will get us started. How can we actually experience the freedom from slavery? So now this is just a little deeper in that. The first thing is this. Remember that Jesus has already conquered that sin you struggle with. Now, does that make it easier to go, overcome it? Not necessarily. But Satan, who the Bible describes as the enemy of God, wants to remind you that that sin is defining who you are. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, that sin is not condemning you anymore. So know that Jesus has already won. Now, again, does that automatically make sin easy to overcome? No. But I think of it this way. Even when I coach baseball, one of the things I tell the kids before they get up to bat 
is I look them in the eyes and I say, hey, you are a good hitter. I've seen you hit the ball. When you get up there, you can hit off this pitcher. You can do it. Go do it. Because that's who you are. You're a hitter here. Now, in my mind, sometimes I'm thinking, oh man, this kid's never going to hit the ball. But <laughs> that's not the point. That totally ruins the illustration. But the, the, the thing is, I want them going up there believing and knowing that they can actually hit. Their identity here is that they are a good hitter, not a failure. There is something weird about it in sports psychology that actually that makes a difference. I believe there's something in our own life that the enemy wants us to think that we will never overcome sin, that we are failures because of our sin, and that your identity is not, is, isn't who Jesus really says you are. We need to begin by remembering what is your true identity. Focus on, no, I'm a forgiven person. I am actually free. That sin I struggle with, that doesn't define me. That's not true. That is going to be defeated. Remember that. Don't forget that. The enemy wants you to think that that sin is going to hold you down your whole life. Another thing to remember is this. To help us break free from the slave to sin is God will not give up on you. And Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that I am convinced that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, if God begins a work of transforming and changing who you are, he will not quit working on you. Some of you feel like God has quit working on you or that he's just eventually, any minute, just going to say, okay, I've had enough with you. But scripture tells us otherwise. He will not give up on you. He's going to continue to, to work and complete the work he began in you until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, until the day you die and you're face to face with God. And for some of us in here, he's going to be working hard all the way up to the last minute. I guarantee you. <laughs> and we're going to get into heaven. He's saying, okay, let's finally finish this thing and finish transforming you. But don't ever forget that God is not giving up on you. One of the biggest lies you can tell yourself is God's had enough. And he goes, forget it. I'm out. Of course not. There's times as a parent, there's different things you kind of work on with your kids and try to get them to change and transform. We never get to the point where we give up. There's days you want to. (laughs) There's days you think, seriously, what works? I don't know what will work. Lock them in their room. That'll work. (laughs) And even that won't work. (laughs) But as a parent, you can think of it that way. Those of us who understand, man, I wouldn't want to give up on my kids. Why? Because I love them. I care about them. I'm going to always keep working on them. Some of you, you have kids who are already retired, and you say, no, I'm still working on my kids. That's how God sees us. He's not going to give up on you. Don't forget that. And then finally, one very practical thing to help us overcome that sin is uh, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He says, You used to set your mind on... Well, let me read it to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It says this, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, those who are just focused on their earthly life. But those who are living according to the Spirit of God, they set their minds on the Spirit. When you want to overcome sin in your life, check what you're setting your mind on. 
on a very practical thing. If you are struggling with greed, are you living your life just filled with nothing but always financial news and the market's up and it's down and oh, look how big my retirement is and look how big my bank account is and you focus so much on that, that's all you see and all you think about, of course greed is going to slip in. It doesn't mean don't care about those things, but if you're always setting your mind on something, you, I can guarantee you that's what you're going to be and think about. If you struggle with lust and you're filling your mind and images with things that are helping you struggle with lust or causing you to struggle with it, guess what? You're going to struggle with it. Some of you need to just, pract- on practical terms, start setting your, your minds on different things. Some of you may be anger. Some, and, and you need to find what are ways that can help me what, what's causing me to be angry? Some of you, it's when you get home from work, you're just angry. You need that t- time to, to kind of unwind. Well, what was on the, on the radio on your way home? Maybe some of you need to pop in some worship music. You know, when you start setting your mind on things above, it's really hard to be angry. It's really hard to be singing praises to God and to want to use sign language with the drivers around you. It's really hard to do that. Some of us just need to set our minds on the things above. You know, this is this story, you may have heard it before, but about a guy who's walking down the road and he um, was walking and in the sidewalk there was this hole filled with mud and dirt and he stepped in it and, and he, it took him a while to get out of it and went, oh man, I stepped in the dirt and finally he got all muddy and he got out of it and said, well, I never want to do that again. And so the next time he's walking down that road, he's like, oh yeah, there's that hole. I don't want to step in that again. I know I'm, I don't want to do that. So he tried to kind of avoid it and, and, and find it, get around it. And then he found himself, he stepped in it. it. Took him a while to get out and he got frustrated. Oh, stepped in that hole again. I said I'd never step in that hole again. So he had a friend. He said, hey, let's walk down this road. But I don't want to step in that hole. But as they were walking, they, he fell in the hole again. And it kept struggling. Until one day, he walked down a different road. Some of you need to change the road you're on if you keep struggling with the same sin. Some of you need to just take a practical look at your life and say, this road isn't helping. (laughs) I need to change what street I'm on. In a very practical term. Okay, next thing. What did Jesus set us free from? This one is, again, it's very liberating, but... Difficult sometimes to apply, but it's, I, I call it the chains of the law. Really, it's freedom from legalism in your life. Legalism meaning just getting so down to every, you know, following the law for the sake of the law, but not the heart. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, we have this up here on the screen for you. It says, Sin will not, shall not be master over you anymore, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. What then, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. What this is really saying when Paul writes this, he's saying, hey, now that Jesus is a part of your life and you're a follower of him, the commands and ways of God are, you can think of as the law, those things are good, but when it says they will not master you anymore, sin shall not master you, you are not under the law, means it's this terminology that says you are no longer living in subjection to. It means don't let the law dominate It no longer dominates your life, but grace dominates your life. Now you say, well, wouldn't that cause me to sin more? Well, Paul says, no. No. The focus here is we don't follow the law 
and get focused on, oh, I just need to do all these right rules. But guess what? He says, focus on grace. What's grace here? It's God and Jesus. Your life, you don't have to be dominated by the law. Be dominated by the grace and love of God for you. Again, when we put Jesus and desire Jesus and, 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 and look at everything he, he has done and everything He wants to do with you, it's really easy or not easy, it's easier to no longer be controlled by sin. When you, all you do is you let your life be dominated by the rules, guess what? It's really easy to break the rules. I always think of it, I kind of have this rebellious streak in me, so when I'm walking down the street and if I, I see something, literally one day I saw a sign that said, do not spit on the sidewalk. And I was like, I would really love to spit on the sidewalk right now. <laughs> I don't even spit, but right now I need to spit on this sidewalk. <laughs> I think in humanity, sometimes when we focus on rules and why, how can I, it makes you want to kind of, you, you focus on that and you forget what the heart of it is. The heart of that law was, hey, don't be a jerk and spit on the sidewalk. It's gross. If it said, hey, don't be a jerk, think about other people. Oh, yeah, if I'm thinking about other people, I'm not going to make it gross for them. Now, that's a really weird example. I don't think I've ever used that before. It's not in my notes, so we'll erase it. But, um, <laughs> Again, it has to do with, if you just focus on the rules, Paul says, no, 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 you're free from having to worry about following every single rule. Worry about pleasing Christ and what he has done for you. And those rules start to fall into place. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From a Hebraic standpoint, when Jesus is teaching, the teachers and the rabbis used to have this terminology that they said it was my yoke. Their yoke was their interpretation of the law. So if you'd follow a rabbi, they would say, this is my yoke. This is uh, how I want my disciples to understand and follow the law. Jesus says, follow me because my yoke, my interpretation of how to live out the law will bring rest for your soul. Now, our English doesn't do this justice because this makes it sound like following Jesus is easy. You don't have to worry about the law, that he doesn't care. No, Jesus had a high standard of what it looked like because he was God in flesh. But he says, when you follow my way of following the law, it's restful to your soul. Jewish tradition looked at the law and said, how can we focus, how can we keep every command of God? And they looked through the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and said, we need to find a way to follow all of these commands found throughout scripture. As if it's not hard enough to just follow them as they are, Right? So they said, well, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? And they created laws to keep the law. That's the definition of legalism. They have 613 mitzvot, or they're called commands. Those 613 commands helped you keep the commands. So when Jesus looked at this, he says, no, 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 no. You were so worried about all the rules to keep the Sabbath that you forgot that keeping the Sabbath is about acknowledging that I am God and in control and you are man who's created by me. Take a day to rest. Take a break and rest in the fact that I'm in control. 
But man said, no, 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 but the way to rest is to not walk too far from my house and to not carry anything when I do it. And if I have a baby, I can carry him as long as it doesn't go outside this line. And, and, and if I spit on the ground and it causes the dirt to move, that actually should be called plowing the field. And that's actually in there as a law breaks the Sabbath. And all of these things. And Jesus is going, you're kidding me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't. You are no longer under subjection, dominated by these rules. Be dominated by the grace of God. Does that mean we increase our sin? No, not at all. It means we say, Jesus, because of what you've done, I want to be, all of, I want to be exactly who you were. And he says, you'll find rest. It goes back to that freedom. You're truly liberated. Free from worrying about the consequences when we live the ways of Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up. As we respond here today, I just want to ask you, how would you like to feel free in your life? No more pressure to perform or to please someone. No more pressure to worry about if God's going to strike you down or if he's given up on you. How about, how many of you would like to be free to not always try to have it all together? Because you can rest in the fact that Jesus has it all together and his life is in you and he's transforming you. To experience freedom from Jesus is to say, Jesus, we love you. We accept that you've rescued us from spiritual death. But we also acknowledge that your ways are the only completely reliable way to give us real freedom in our relationships with you and with others. Because when I follow your ways, my pride goes away. You know, I've heard of um, marriages that sometimes have fights. And um, every once in a while, if my wife and I have a conflict, it's amazing how one of us could say something and pride creeps in right away and says, oh, I, I need to fight with what she said because if she believes that about me, then I'm not measuring up and then somehow I need to be better than what she thinks. And, and, and so then I fight back and it just never goes the right way. But if you stop, take a step back, say, Jesus, when I follow your ways, but sometimes I say, you know what? I, I, I don't have it all together. Jesus is working on me. Or when I can look at someone else and say, wait, I need to have patience and understand them and be quick to forgive and slow to anger. See, the ways of Jesus actually liberate me. They set me free from a lot of consequences of the stupid things that I do when I say, no, God, I'm going to be God here. Let me take over. So we're going to end, and we just have, uh, we have this one song I want you to start with. And just take a moment to pray. Let God speak to you however you need this morning. And right after that, we're going to end with a final song just celebrating the freedom that comes in Jesus. But this first one, don't join in singing until you're ready to. I want you just to sit there, let, listen to the words, pray. When you're ready to join in, feel free to do that, and then we'll end with a, a celebrate, celebratory song.